0: Hello, and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty. This week, I'm talking to Dr Emma Kell and Adrian Bethune about their new book, which is A Little Guide for Teachers, Teacher Wellbeing and Self-Care, which I thoroughly recommend to you. And I hope you enjoy our very interesting conversation covering all sorts of aspects of well-being and self-care. As ever, just like to remind listeners that this podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around topics. The views my guests and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in depth, authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. Today, I am joined by Dr. Emma Kell, teacher, writer, and trainer of teachers, and Adrian Bethune, teacher, writer, and founder of Teach Happy. And we are going to be talking a little bit about um, Emma and Adrian's book, Teacher Wellbeing and Self-Care. And I'm sure lots of other things besides. Listeners are probably a little bit tired of hearing me tell guests how much I love the books. <laughs> but um, this one is absolutely fab. Um, it is. It's very quick to read. And at the same time, there are lots of really interesting exercises that really stop and make you think. And what I really love about it is you're encouraged to scribble all over it, which is something that I do to books, whether I'm encouraged or not. So welcome to both of you, hello.
1: Hi, thanks for having us.
0: My pleasure. Um, So perhaps you could begin by telling listeners a bit about yourselves and what led you to work together on this book. So whoever would like to kick off first.
1: I don't mind going first. so, yeah, I'm Adrian Bethune. I teach part-time at primary school in Aylesbury. Um, as you said, Caroline, I'm the founder of Teach Happy, which I set up three years ago, which essentially shares resources, but also offers training for schools and young people on the the science of well-being and how to embed it in kind of the classroom practice and curriculum. Uh, and I've got a couple of other roles. I'm the education policy co-lead at the Mindfulness Initiative and also the co-chair of the Well Schools Movement, which is a movement of schools that are trying to put well-being at the heart of everything they do. And that was kind of kicked off by the Youth Sports Trust. Um, and when I I basically reached out to Emma about two and a bit years ago when I was writing my first book, Well-Being in the Primary Classroom, because I had a chapter, the final chapter was on teacher well-being. And for every chapter up until that point i I'd, I'd pretty much cited research from psychology of uh, well-being and i'd reached out to an expert in the field to read the chapter and give them feedback and emma was my teacher well-being kind of expert that i reached out to and she very kindly read my chapter fed back i made some tweaks and then ever since then we've just kind of stayed in touch we um yeah so when um sage got in touch about writing uh, this little guide to teach wellbeing and self-care. Initially, they contacted me and the first person I, I spoke to was Emma to see if she'd want to write it with me. Um, and she said, yes, and here we are.
0: <laughs> Lovely <laughs> stuff. And regular listeners to the podcast might remember, Emma, that we, we chatted um, back last year about your um, wonderful book about how to survive in, in teaching. But maybe you could um, tell us a little bit about your your journey as well.
2: Yes. So it's been, um, I've been really blessed actually. It's been a really exciting journey and I talked a little bit about it in the first podcast. So I've got 21 years of teaching under my belt pretty much full time for all of those. So I've done the leaving the house at 620 with a top under one arm and a bag of marking under the other. Um, I spent most of my career in London. Most of my career has been delightfully happy and fulfilling and engaging. There have been some really challenging periods though and it was partly a challenging period which led to Outside in teaching, where I wanted to kind of shine a corner into some of the more challenging elementary profession. Um As Adrian says, we, we got to know each other, we were publishing around the same time actually, um, and then we ended up uh, running a, a brewery together. we um, were with, with a, a brewery team in Hartfordshire, which was hugely successful. It's one of those days where you look back and you think, oh my goodness, we had all those remarkable people. In one room, we had Ross Morrison McGill and Alison Peacock and Sam Tristan and Ross Wilson and, and just, you know, this room, I think amjad Ali, i did much, well, we did two, but anyway, we had all these amazing people in one room and there was a real buzz. Um, so, yes, so now a bit like Adrian, I've got what I think is known as a portfolio career, um, where I do lots of, which <laughs> sounds terribly, terribly pretentious, um, where I do lots of different things. Um, I teach in a crew, uh, uh, of uh part time which I love. I, I didn't teach last year and it's the first year in the years that I haven't taught and I really missed it. So I love my teaching. Um I work as um teaching school lead for the PRU, so building networks of schools in Buckinghamshire. Um and I train teachers with the Institute of Education and then I do all sorts of other little well lots and lots of ranting about um teacher wellbeing and self care, lots of lots of ways to tell people what to do. And I'm trained be a coach. Which does not involve telling people what to do, which is right outside my comfort zone. <laughs> so uh,
0: it's, it's fascinating. Wow! gosh, lots going on there, um, and uh, you know, as you say, natural collaborators on this on this piece in many ways. And as I alluded to in the introduction, there, I just really love the the format of this book and and how you've put it together could you maybe explain it a little bit for for listeners and and why you chose to do it in that way
2: yeah well it's it's actually part of a series and um uh, and and say it was actually so the whole series of books so there's one on marketing feedback uh, one on diversity in schools and um that they all follow the same kind of framework so the actual we can't take credit for the actual um that the actual layout, yeah. Yeah. because that's the stage of idea. Um, but um, it, it's the whole idea is. I think Adrian and I were talking about this recently. You know, I've got piles of books behind me, um, and and you can read them, and often it'll just go in, go in one ear and out the other, or whatever the the, the reading equivalent is of that. And um, with this, we want people to, to engage directly with it. And when we got our initial feedback from our first readers, they loved the fact that you can write in it, capture things at a given time, and it becomes your, almost like a mini journal. If Adrian wants to say, anything more about all
1: Sage, Sage presented M&I with the format, which really appealed to us um, in terms of, it was meant to be quite bite-sized, it was meant to be very reflective. Um, there were meant to be kind of inspirational quotes and then short hints and tips, and then reflection activities where people, yeah, stop in that moment and write down some, Either reflections or things that they're actually going to try out and do, um, which really appealed to me because from all my work, my work in the, the kind of field of well-being, uh, there's a there's a quote by Professor Laurie Santos, who's a um, well-being expert at Yale University, and she says that knowing what makes you happy or knowing what contributes to well-being has no impact on your well-being whatsoever it's all about the action it's about the hard work and actually put it into practice and so yeah, getting teachers to kind of stop and, and write down okay tomorrow or next week, what are you actually going to do having read this and having reflected and so that really appeals uh to me in, in terms of getting people to take some actions and positive action to to make some differences um which will hopefully impact on their well-being. So yeah, it was, um, but it was also a challenge. Uh, Emma and I both found it quite challenging to write a very succinct short book. Like Both mine and Emma's first books were probably 50,000 words and this was 15,000. And so it was really about choosing what to leave out rather than what to put in. We had so much material, it's like, ah, like, I don't want to leave that out, but actually it really forces you to think, okay, what's potentially going to have the biggest impact um and we, and we let that guide us.
0: Yeah, and I think it's interesting, it almost um although you know reading and writing are kind of solo activities, it almost feels like some of the aspects of maybe um a course or a you know a session with a well-being expert sending you off to do little activities and and, and have a think and have a chat to people, um, but in a book format that you mm. can kind of pick up at a point in your life that suits you. Um. uh, So yeah, I just yeah. I think it's it it, it, until people have seen it, they might not. They might not get it. Um. So I just wanted to sort of dig into that um a little bit. Was there anything that you wanted to say about the format, Emma? Yeah,
2: I think the most. So I've been running training on well being for a long time now, and every single piece of feedback always said we want more practical, more practical, more practical, less theory, more practical. So the key thing for us was to give people things that have been tried and tested. They're, they're founded in the research, but they're very simple. They're straightforward. They're not time consuming. They, they, they don't cost anything or, or, or not much at all. And they can be used by any staff in a school or even beyond governors. And in fact, actually, you know, the best the best well-being training um, is when actually the people who organize it, the, the, the non-teachers actually say, oh, gosh, I got loads from that as well. And that's, I think, been one of the most successful sessions I've run where there have been, been people completely unrelated to education who happen to be there behind the scenes who've said, who've said, oh, actually this was really good. So almost it's forgetting it. It, it sounds counterintuitive, but it's, it's forgetting you're actually talking, Sometimes it's forgetting you're actually addressing teachers at all. You're just addressing a human beings with really busy, challenging lives in a global pandemic. Um, and it yeah. needs to be. Something that they can do now, you know. So pick up a pen, do it now, draw those circles, you know, yeah. those make that pledge, yeah.
0: And, and I think, you know, um. From 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 my perspective, uh, reading it, I just felt a lot of the suggestions that you make for for making changes to your your working patterns or your or your daily rhythms are just very realistic and achievable. And I think sometimes when we talk about about well being or some of the things that you that you might read, um, you know, kind of conjure these images of like. Th- Changing your diet and doing all of these other things that, that that just seem sort of impossible. If I had, you know, all the time and all the money and all the whatever else that celebrities have, then maybe I could achieve this kind of lifestyle. And I think what what you do that's so clever is make people understand that every little bit of something that you do different can count, and mm-hmm. that you can that you can like you say you can start today. You can you can do something rather than seeing it as a kind of project. That you always will push off to another another time um and I, and I really liked the little kind of case studies that you include of how people have improved their well-being and i'm sure you must have heard lots of stories um along the way i wondered if you could share some of those with our with our listeners
1: there was one that sticks out in my mind and it's because it was a, a male primary school teacher with a with a young son at home and so i've got two young boys at home and he was He was basically, this was on Twitter, we were having a kind of exchange and then afterwards I said to Emma, we should use this, if you will allow it, as a case study. And he basically said, you know, he was leaving his house, I don't know, really early, like 6.30 to get to school, trying to get everything done at school and then getting home so he didn't have to do anything. But what it meant was he was hardly seeing his son. And then he, um, he kind of, one morning his son said oh daddy I, I feel sad that you um you have to work so much but the teacher was saying I think it was Matthew was saying his son was saying it as though he felt sad for his dad rather than sad for himself and so what the, the small tweak that he made was just I think it was one or just two mornings a week um he, he went in later just so he could have breakfast with his son and then on the mornings where he did have to like get in early to try and get everything done he just left his he did a little kind of um cartoon character with a note for his son so when his son got up in the morning, Daddy left him a little gift and just those small tweaks um according to Matthew, made a really big difference to him and his son um but also just just that small change there just made him realize actually there's other places I can make more changes and just get more time with my family. And, And I think that is what Emma and I, we know from the research, but we also have found from speaking to teachers, as soon as you start to exercise some agency, which is taking control and making small changes, suddenly you realise there's a whole other range of small tweaks you can start to make and it empowers you and you start to make those changes and then you start to build up momentum.
0: Yeah, and it's almost that sort of feedback loop as well, isn't it? Somebody could tell you, oh, this is a really good idea, you should totally do it, until you actually try it and see, oh, this has made a difference to this person or to me or whatever it is. I, you know, And then, you, like you say, get some momentum. Any, any uh, um, stories that you'd like to share there, Emma?
2: Yeah, I'd like to focus in actually on difficult conversations. And how often, actually, in teaching, we 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 we're very good with young people, but we avoid having those difficult conversations conversations with our with our immediate colleagues because it's difficult, it's awkward, it's painful. Um, And um, the example I'm thinking of is related to the quote, "Scratch any teacher, and they're in it to make a difference." You know, scratch any teacher hard enough, you know, no one comes to work to do a bad job so i'm thinking of a middle leader i worked with many years ago now who was really struggling and i was i was in the line management structure um and 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 it just you know it just wasn't working she was working really long hours but she just wasn't effective in the classroom it wasn't working out her relationship with students had broken down and i remember how nervous i was i scripted it in advance but having that conversation with her about actually you get up every day, you come into the space. the dedication you show to this organization is phenomenal, uh, but what the way at the moment this is unsustainable because because actually your well-being comes from that sense that you're doing a good job and, and, and at the moment, you know you've told me that things aren't going as you need to and actually, getting it all out there is one of the most difficult conversations i've ever had, and there were tears and there was the this woman who talked about it, she would sacrificed everything, she, she hadn't got married, she would sacrificed everything for her teaching career. But we broke through that pain barrier and then we were able to break it down to the small practical things she could actually do to start to build up her classroom practice. By avoiding that difficult conversation, all we'd done was defer the problem and intensify the problem. Um, so, so I know that's 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 quite a big thing. But you know, there are there are there's a section in our book on it. Um, Angie Brown's written about it too, actually. You know, there are ways of planning for and preparing for and confronting those difficult conversations, which in the long run can make um, everybody's lives so much better.
0: Yeah, and I imagine it must be, you know, especially because there's always there's always more to do. There's always more activity. Um you know a to do list is never finished in 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 teaching um and it and it you know you can insulate yourself from from needing to actually reassess priorities or have difficult conversations or or sort of make plans or 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 take um as you say more agency because it's always going to be something else to do and feel like you're sort of functioning um I imagine.
2: Yes, and it's, it's the Eisenhower matrix now that comes into my mind, the important, urgent, unimportant, non-urgent. So actually what what happens in, in, in the average teaching day is that there's loads and loads of stuff that's urgent that has to be done now. And lots of that urgent stuff is really important as well. Some of it possibly less so, like, oh, I need to speak so-so now. And what happens is that the the important but non-urgent stuff, like those difficult conversations, like the reading that you really want to do around a particular pedagogy or topic that's that's that, that you're working on or that you're fascinated by, those things get neglected and then that leads to that sense of restlessness and dissatisfaction. So it's, it's really focusing on that box of important but not necessarily
1: urgent. Um, the the other, other thing I'd say about that matrix, the reason we start with a chapter on purpose and we keep coming back to what really matters to you, what are your values, <clears throat> is because... You know, that, that Eisenhower matrix is kind of, um, you know, important to who. So you, you could have something on your to-do list that's really important, but it's important to your de- deputy head. It's not important to you at all. It doesn't align with your values or. So this is why we, we, you know, say you need to stay intimately connected with your sense of purpose. We have a section in there about, um, being mindful of your list of, have-tos versus want-tos. So the things you have to do, either legally or as part of your role, and the things you really want to do, which are probably more aligned with your purpose and your values, and then having those difficult conversations because part of carving out time for yourself and looking after your well-being is about saying, actually, I'm not going to do this, or I'm not going to do this now because I don't have time, or I'm not going to do this at all because it's not important. And, you know, as... People, I think, misconstrue, you know, teacher well-being and self-care as this: oh, how to look after yourself? Just run a warm bath and have some essential oils, and those those things might be part of your self-care. There's nothing wrong with that. But actually, sometimes looking after yourself means going through some really difficult, uncomfortable moments in order to have a longer, more fulfilling, happier life. Uh, and Emma and I were having a conversation the other day about a school I used to work in where I was so disciplined about this is where I a school I joined when I had my first child and I, you know, I was super disciplined about school work stops here and when I go home it's just me and my family because we were struggling with a you know newborn at home as many families do. And my head teachers just started to encroach on my family time, started to text me on my personal phone started to say at the end of the day, oh, Adrian, before you rush it off, I like implying that I was, you know, Mm. not working hard. And actually, I just had to have some really difficult conversations, like don't contact me on my home phone. The only time you should do that is absolute emergency. And I mean literally life and death, even if Ofsted's cool. I'll find out in the morning, it's fine. Um, Yeah, and actually, it it caused a bit of an issue between myself and the teacher. but I needed to do that in order to look after myself and my family that was my priority in that year
0: and i think it's interesting because as you say this is a book from the you know for the perspective of a teacher and and you know concerning itself with some of the issues common common to the profession but recognizing that the individuals within that profession you know different different things will represent self-care or, or purpose or values to those, those people. And um, that's why I think, you know, personalizing the book with your own notes and annotations is, is so important, as we've, as we've said, because I think it, um, you know, one, one for one person relaxing will give them a sense of Um, you know replenishment but for somebody else it might be two hours working on something that they really want to write because they're really passionate and enthusiastic about it and the energy that they're going to get from doing that rather than thinking about doing that or worrying they're not doing it is you know is restorative Um, Mm -hmm. but it just looks so different for everyone and I think um, this you know it really um, does kind of empower the individual to um, you know Take take. Oh, I don't want to say take back control. I really don't want to say take back control. But sort of take back control of their, um, of of what they want out of the, the the job that they have chosen, um, and if they're in the wrong kind of school or environment or culture, to you know m- move rather than necessarily just kind of accept um, that. So I'm kind of interested to know whether or not you think that that's a better way to go a, about it rather than sort of, you know, focusing on lobbying for change at a systemic level.
2: I think, I mean, that's a really, really good question, actually. And I, I love that perspective you've got in the book. I almost feel like we've achieved our aim. If that's, not, if that's what you've taken from the book, we really have achieved our aim because wellbeing is not a one-size-fits-all. You know, different things, as you say, it's about meeting people where they are at. It's not about saying, this is how you should live. This is what time you need to leave work. Slapping people on the wrist for working late at night. No, because for some people that absolutely works. But in terms of your question, I mean, this is actually Adrian's I remember watching Adrian do a presentation I had one of those light bulb moments because he put the slide up from the TomTom Tom ad, which said you're not in traffic, you are traffic. Um and this whole idea that we are the system, so we can rail against the bloody system and you know, oh I'm so angry with the system and our education system in the UK is toxic and it's and 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 I probably do that more than Adrian does. You know, I think there is a time and a place Mm. to rail against the system. You know, at the moment my my um my soapbox is the fact that we work in this deficit model. So you're giving feedback to a teacher and they're desperately waiting for the even better if it's like, no, I'm gonna make you spend 80% 80% of this meeting focusing on what you really did well, mm. at least 80%, and and actually why you did that well. What did you do? You didn't, it wasn't a fluke. You know, you, you built that relationship. You you broke down that concept. Um, so that's one of my my soapboxes. My other soapbox with the system is, is um, I, I really think, I mentioned my coaching earlier, I've got a supervisor for every move I make in my coaching. And oh my goodness, is it powerful. And some kind of supervision across the system, mm. especially at the moment. You know, people who are already doing it, sharing good practice, making noise about it, it doesn't necessarily need to cost lots of money or take lots of time. Um, but if there was a subtitle to our book, it would be "You have more control than you think you do." You know? So take that control. I know you didn't want to use the phrase, but actually, that's exactly yeah. what it is, is. That you know, we can be our own worst enemies in teaching. We can be a little bit. There, I say it. I'm not married to a teacher, who is quite brutal with me sometimes. A little bit martyrish. Do I really have to be marking those books in front of Game of Thrones? Do I really, you know, is it really necessary to stay up till two planning that PowerPoint? No, it isn't because I can get myself onto a website and borrow somebody else's and adapt it. So it's so my answer to that question would be it has to be. It's a bit of both. The, you know, a certain amount of ranting and raging and and goodness knows, you know, speaking out on behalf of the, the forceful leaders who have just been through you know this collective trauma recently mm. and it's ongoing it's going on on, on. you know the latest was the half term and the lockdown which ruined the end of their half term mm. um so so yes so a mixture of ranting and raging but also realizing that you as an individual can take control way more control than perhaps you imagine you can
1: yeah and i i'd echo what emma said and i'd also say you know i think one of the very last reflections in the book is uh, it's the chapter on agency it's what small thing can you make in which uh, small change can you make in your classroom, what small change can you make in the wider school community, and then what change would you like to see in the wider education system? So we do as well as you know the important act of getting teachers to acknowledge that you are part of the system, and if you start to change the system starts to change. then you know we talk about the Stephen Covey's um, circles of control and influence. You know there are certain things that are completely out of our control, as teachers, such as the funding that schools get. So we have to work in with you know within certain parameters. But the reason this book focused mainly on individual teachers in schools is because you know at a system level, the changes to take place in an education system is it is literally like the juggernaut turning the sea, and we and things are changing. But even things like the mental health green paper that came out in two thousand seventeen really kind of some some of it is quite bold changes so like every school have a, a mental health well being team but like that's by twenty twenty-five in all this time teachers well being is, is affected your well being is your day to day experience of your life so the reason we're focusing on teaching is the system takes so long to change you can make take some positive action like right now to to make things better for you and it might be changing school it might be making tweaks to, you know, your sleeping habits, whatever. Um, but you can affect change now. And when the book uh, first came out, I was contacted by a head teacher who's, um, I think she's an executive head, so looks after a few schools. And she was saying, look, I want to buy copies of your book for from, from, from my staff because they've done such an amazing job. Kids have come back really happy. The parents are so happy with how the children transition back in she's like they are literally my staff are running themselves into the ground and no matter what i say they're not listening to me and so in that in that sense in that small system that ecosystem that school mat you know the system is right that in terms of the executive head she genuinely cares about teachers wellbeing she's making all the right noises but her staff individually are are doing too much and they're burning out and so you know, teachers do. We've we've said this before, I and mean, teachers and school leaders, anybody needs to take personal responsibility for their own well-being. Like your well-being is your responsibility. Yes, of course, the head teacher has a responsibility in setting the, the culture and ethos of the school, but ultimately, your well-being is 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 down to you to 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 manage. And if you're in a toxic environment, you've got to plan your exit. If you're in a in a decent environment, you've got to look after yourself and you've got to role model that to your students as well
0: yeah, I think it's it's interesting when you think i mean obviously like you know I work at the key, an organization that you know helps a lot of school leaders deal with you know compliance and the things that have to be done, but then there are so many layers of interpretation beyond that. And things that that drive particular behaviors when groups of people get together you know things like the staff room if nobody ever sits down on the comfy chairs and actually has a cup of tea and a chat to each other then no one else does it you know they don't you know and and it sort of fulfills itself we've all got to be working all the time we can't possibly have a break um so that it just feels like there are lots of different ways in which if you're not willing to see it as your as your responsibility, that you can always go. No, it's the environment. It's the culture. It's the DFE. It's because I have to do this and I have to do that. And, um, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Uh, there's this great concept of which um, you come across weekly um, called healthy boundaries of responsibility. So, so yes, absolutely. You know, head teachers have a huge responsibility, and a and a brilliant head teacher who cares about their staff wellbeing is going to have a huge impact. But at the same time, we operate in this deeply hierarchical system where everything is, is often in many schools is brought to the head teacher's door. Everything comes in. And I, and I remember having this conversation, saying, well, it all comes down to the head, doesn't it? It all comes down to the head. And, and now it's even worse because, of course, parents are feeling vulnerable. They're relying on the head teacher for all the answers and they're struggling economically and, and children are scared. And, and, and so, the head teacher, they are they are amazing humans, many of them, but they are not superhuman, <laughs> um, and 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 we've got to be very 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 careful that we are supporting in every direction. Um, you know that not just looking upwards for support all the time, and just mm-hmm. what you said earlier, I was thinking about this too earlier. I mean, you know, behaviour is contagious, so. It's the drains and radiators, you know, mm. what in my head, like, you know, if you want to hang out with the drains, the people who say, "Oh well, what are they up to? Us and mm. them, what are they up to now? Oh, well, you know, you've got to watch out for so-and-so. Oh, contrast the word he says. If you want to hang out with those people, that's your choice. You're an adult. Mm. But, though, you know, suspicion and paranoia and irritation and grumpiness are contagious. Mm. Um, so why not go and sit with the people on the comfy sofas who are actually snorting away at the latest ridiculous know, joke about bottoms or whatever you know seek out the people who who make you feel like a good person because it will make you feel better
1: but the the other thing to say about kind of drains and radiators is i have worked in an environment where the drain would come and sit with the, the radiators <laughs> um, but But equally, that is why having difficult conversations, you know, if someone is just moaning the whole time and just bringing you down, don't just sit there and then complain when they've gone. Just say something. Say, look, please, can we not talk about coronavirus this lunchtime? Or please, can we not talk about Boris Johnson and and his latest mess up? Can we just, you know, can we just Mm. make sure that the staff room is about Hope and positivity, because that's what we need to get to christmas um and have that difficult conversation now, if the drain is upset by that, obviously talk respectfully and and with the view of you know working well with that person in the future, but have we need to I think have more difficult conversations because and I have definitely been guilty of this in the past too often we We talk about this, Emma in the book briefly, that the infantilization of teachers. We work mm-hmm. in a system that works with children. We're used to talking to children as the the adult, and you listen to me, you follow these rules. and what happens we We talk to each other that way we we you know we're all scared of the head teacher in a way that a pupil would be intimidated because it's the big boss. We are professional adults. we need to start acting like professional adults, and that means being assertive. It means stating our needs. It means, you know, saying no. It means behaving mm. like an adult, which I think there is a, a climate and culture in many schools where we get told off and then we have a little grumble about it when that when the big bad boss isn't there. And that needs to change.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I work with this remarkable organisation called Now Teach. I don't know if you've come across them. Mm. So it's coming into the profession after you know, uh, successful extended careers in in other organisations from the law to finance to uh astronauts, you have all sorts of And I remember this top lawyer sitting in one of my sessions last year and she said, Why do they talk to me as if I'm eight? <laughs> and then you just suddenly mm. think, yes. Yeah. No, but well, why why should she? And I mean, when Adrian talks about difficult conversations, I think this is to this be is pertinent to me at the moment, we talk about it just at the introduction, before the introduction. None of us have this sorted. We might have written this book, but we don't have it sorted. So at the moment, I'm working on my otherishness. And every now and again, I'll text Adrian and I'll say, I've done it again. I've said yes to too many things. And I can almost feel his eye roll from the other end of the phone. But But by telling him, I'm holding myself to account. So I'm saying it's a bit like when you tell someone you're doing Couch to 5K, which I am, which also involves you, I've That that then I can say, so, well, actually, I'm on week seven now. Um, I am on week seven now. Um but, that, but, you know, so those difficult conversations sometimes have to be with yourself. You're, like, you're mm. like, you know, I cannot help this completely unrelated person with their assignment on history today I, or, or possibly ever. Maybe I can tell that I'll suggest to them that they go and ask somebody
1: else <laughs> mm, mm. Um, yeah completely and I've, I was chatting to Emma this week, I've taken on a project kind of through peer pressure from someone, someone that I like and respect and, and they asked me to do it and now that I'm in the middle of this project luckily the end is kind of December it's not aligned to my values it doesn't make me it's not. doesn't bring me pleasure or purpose and I just wish I had said no at the time but you know as Emma said we are a constant work in progress so like from now on i know from december onwards in fact stuff requests that are coming in right now if it's not if it doesn't make my heart sing Mm. and i really don't need it to pay the mortgage i'll just say no i'm sorry too busy or you know actually why don't you speak to Mm. emma (laughs) keller (laughs)
2: about (laughs) this
0: uh, I think also we're all just going to be messaging you whatever promises we've made to ourselves, Adrian, Adrian, I'm not going to meet you today. Um, yeah, no, I think it is really interesting, um, particularly with, with teaching, with a profession where, you know, for a lot of the time, you're quite, you're the solitary adult in the room um, and in charge, for want of a better shorthand of explaining that, of the, of the children's learning. And then your interactions with with colleagues actually are a bit more sporadic as opposed to professions where you might be, you know, depending on other bits of the team to do the thing that you do. You're not kind of I don't know, I've got to wait for somebody else to plan my lesson to give me a lesson to do. You know, you're you're doing all of that yourself as a teacher. So I do think it's it's always an interesting dynamic. Um you know how you actually have as you say difficult conversations with colleagues or or how people who rise up to leadership actually get to a point where they can influence the behavior of other adults because you say sometimes your focus has been so much on children mm. um so thinking about that um senior leader for example the one that you that you mentioned there who's who who wants to do the the right thing um by their by their teams in in terms of well being um what what kind of advice, if you were going to write a, a, a small guide for them, what would you include?
1: <laughs> Do you know what? One thing I would say about this particular head teacher is like, I have no idea what, what she is like in, in her job. And so she can be making all the right noises, but if she is a workaholic herself, then that is the example that she's setting. So whether she likes it or not, she might be thinking in her head, well, it's all alright for me to do this because I've got you know, my kids have left home and blah, blah blah, I've got the time, but I want you to look after yourself. Well no, you know, um there's a there's a quote I keep referring back to, it's actually about parenting from a child developmental psychologist, but um it's that children learn far more from their caregivers' unconscious behaviours than any of their conscious manipulations. But Take out children like human beings, mm. people are role models. We, we follow their example, the unconscious things that they do. Um, so our senior leaders, I would say, you need to role model what good well being looks like, what healthy boundaries look like, what saying no, turning down stuff looks like. Um, and also you need to like empower your staff, and, and by that, I mean. Grant them the autonomy to make decisions for themselves, and yeah, resist telling them how you know resist saying, "Go home at six o'clock." I mean don't resist you, you might need yeah. to do that, but ultimately, when you create a culture of trust and where you set a good example of what that looks like, then you're giving the space for people to behave like autonomous professional adults that that instinctively know how to look after themselves
2: yeah i mean it's that's that's an, another really good question but I, and I don't want to do us out of a job because there will be books don't worry um but but actually i I've been delivering training based on this book to uh everyone from governors to um teach learning assistants to school nurses uh to head teachers and actually um despite the fact that for many years i found head teachers quite um Quite an intimidating audience. Um, they were tough, crowd, head teachers. I actually found myself um, being more stern with them than I would with a group of NQTs, actually. And in the end, the messages I was giving them, you know, the quote um, from Dr. Karen Edge, you know, rock bottom is not the place to come back from, you take your loved ones with you. I found myself with head teachers starting my presentation with that quote and saying, right. Okay, I know it's stressful. I I know you know it's horrendous, but we need you, <laughs> and we yeah. need you in the long term. Um, and and so unless you can actually be absolutely ruthless about your own oxygen mask or whatever metaphor you want to use, then then you know nothing. Nothing else is going to work. Um, and and so actually the the, the key messages are as much from this book or as much, if not more, for school leaders themselves. And what I often end up doing is I'll run a well-being session ostensibly to train leaders in how to look after their teams. But really what it ends up being is this is how you look after yourself. Your team will then... You know, okay. it, it, the rest will fall into place mm. if you can model those behaviours which affect back Adrian was saying.
1: And, and I think this is another reason why in, in the book we, in the perspective chapter, we included um, Ronnie Ware's book, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying, uh, partly because we we wrote, we finished writing the book during the start of the pandemic. Um, because in terms of like perspective, like seeing the bigger picture, noting what, what really matters, I think it really does help to frame it in a kind of life-and-death situation, as in a global pandemic is a life-and-death situation. But what it does is, and this is from my own experience of attending kind of funerals, family members and things, even like younger people who've been in tragic situations, those moments, you literally, you wake up, you wake up from the busyness, you wake up from, you know, just the day-to-day drudgery of life and you think god like life is so precious uh you know how am i going to spend my precious time on the things that really matter and and i think that's a key message for school leaders it's a key message for teachers it's a key message as we've said emma for just anybody that's a human being like let's use this pandemic to wake up Like we literally, this time last year, we were all blissfully unaware that something was going to be, something was about to kick off on the other side of the world in December that was going to change everybody's lives around the world. Like literally a year ago, everything was absolutely fine. Um, So we literally have no idea what was around the corner. Um, So bloody wake up, stop doing stuff you don't want to do because you know it's a waste of your time. It's a literally a waste of your life. We've got this finite, precious amount of time, so like, use it wisely. Don't live your life being miserable and unhappy, doing stuff you don't want to do, because what's the point?
0: Powerfully put there, and that that part in the book, yeah, it just it does really, really get to you and kind of jolt you and 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 think like, you know, can how how would you how would you look back and you know all the time spent entering data or marking or whatever insert, mm. um, not very useful activity there, you'd kind of go, well, I wish I'd spent more time, even as a teacher, doing things that you could remember being valuable to the students, not mm. boxes that you were ticking for somebody else, as you say. Um, and just just thinking about teachers and where they are right now in, in the middle of a very, very long and seemingly getting longer by the day um, term we know November, when we're chatting, is a kind of point in the year where people are feeling a little low anyway. And we, we don't know what Christmas will bring by way of joy, um, or the holiday season, I should say, will bring by way of joy. Have you got any, any tips to, to help people kind of pace themselves through these coming, coming weeks and avoid a
2: burnout? Um, yes. So I usually, around this time of year, write a version of an article which says something like Surviving November, of course, you're feeling tired. Of course, you want to hibernate. It's dark. It's all natural, and it goes back to caveman and everything else. Um, and, and, and now we are, yeah, we are in our second lockdown. Nobody really believes that it's going to be over much before next Easter. Um, when you when you ask about, I mean, who knows? don't yeah, who knows? knows? Um, everyone, you know, we um, we work at my school. Um, we've got the chimp paradox. You know, the chimps are running running riot. Everyone's chimps are out. Uh, and and everyone's just, just exhausted. So really, yeah, all of those messages that Adrian's just expressed so powerfully apply now more than ever, that you have to do what you have to do, whether that's getting in at 4.30 and getting into your pyjamas, because that is what your body is screaming out for, whether it's calling an old friend and just spending some time giggling raucously or sobbing hysterically or whatever mm. you need, you know, um, um, this is not the time to be taking on new projects. And you know, I've already alluded to this, but I love shiny things. I love new things. I love, you know, I say to you, let's write a book about this mm-hmm. <laughs> about track coming up. I don't um, but actually, now is not the time. Now is the time for just batten down the hatches. Do what you need to do. Um, what I do welcome at the moment, I think this question might be coming up, but is the fact that actually mental health and wellbeing have been brought to the forefront I think mm. of people's mind by this pandemic. So be kind to yourself and others. Assume nothing. So if someone's being a bit grumpy and you think they're being rude, just have a think about what they might be going around which you can never know about. Um, and, and just, you know, this, is, it, this month needs to be got through. <laughs> um That said, the level of extraordinary, so I'm very privileged. I work with different schools every day. uh, And the extraordinary resilience and positivity of education professionals at the moment is so inspiring. You know, I'm so proud to be a part of this profession. So, you know, gravitate towards the radiators
1: and be kind.
2: Great stuff. And Adrian?
1: I would say strip everything back. So don't do anything you don't have to do, like commitments inside and outside of school that just really aren't essential right now, just completely and utterly drop it to, to save energy. Um, I love that Danish concept of hygge, you know, when it's winter. So basically make your home as cozy and lovely and delightful as possible. So make sure you've got plenty of lovely things to eat. Uh, and- make sure you've got funny box sets or really interesting box sets. So like in the evening, you're looking forward to getting home and, and watching that next episode of, of whatever the program is, Um, have things to look forward to. It's really important. Um, So like whether this is going to happen or not, I'm, I turn 40 in May next year in my head, I'm planning my 40th in Ibiza, um, but I, I'm planning it with a realistic optimism. So it's, it's, probably not going to happen, but I can still get excited about, you know, I've even got a WhatsApp group of my old school friends saying who's up for it, and everyone's like, yeah. Um, uh, Look back at photos of happier times, like literally go through your phone and just reminisce about really happy times because life will get back to that at some point. We don't know when, but it will, and we have to keep hopeful about that. So like reminisce about the summer holidays from last year, whatever. And then finally, like keep physically active. Physical activity is literally the best thing you can do for your physical and mental health. So like just you know walk around the block, walk at lunchtime, get outside on a lovely, gorgeous autumnal day out in the woods, because studies really do show it brings anxiety and stress levels right down. Uh, so those those are my go-tos
0: fantastic great tips there and just quickly at the end there is um you you've both been working in this field for for a little while as we've discussed and i'm interested to, to know if you think you know things are getting better and easier um to talk about well-being um as we've just said and, and what your hopes are for the for the future
1: i do think things are improving in education i think on a policy level, you know, I mentioned earlier the Mental Health Green Paper, which is putting a greater focus on mental health and wellbeing of teachers and pupils, more funding, more support for that. As Emma said, people are talking about mental health and well-being of teachers, um, so, which I think, you know, we need to be talking about. We need to raise this up as this is something really important that needs to be addressed. Uh, and then, you know, the fact that a major publisher contacted Emma and I to write this book about teacher wellbeing and self-care because not just that there's a market, but there's an appetite. Teachers want to be happier in their work. They want to do a better job for the young people by having more energy and feeling more fulfilled. So there is a real right moment and attitude to change things in education. So yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful and optimistic that things are changing for the better. Actually, I think there's pause in education you know, how we've normally done things, the pause on exams, things like that. I think it's given everyone a chance to step back, especially with the pause on Ofsted as well, and think, do we really need all these things that stress us out and don't really seem to benefit teachers or children? Uh, So I'm hopeful that, yeah, we're going to make some real, bigger and more positive changes in the the near future.
2: Everything, I mean, there are things I'm very worried about. Uh, We already had a recruitment and retention crisis, and I think the way... Teachers have been portrayed in the media, and school leaders have been treated during this pandemic is disgraceful. Um, but I'm, st- I'm still an optimist. I just want to acknowledge that because I'm not Pollyanna here. Um, but I I do love you know the conversations I'm having, particularly with teachers new to the profession. You know, training the teachers is the best job in the world. And whenever I feel a bit jaded, and I do sometimes because I'm human too. Um, uh, and then I go and train a group of new uh, NQTs or PGC students or Teach First students, and I see the energy and passion and optimism and freshness coming into our profession, and I just leave those sessions thinking, actually, it'll be okay, you know, particularly Joe Biden, on Joe okay. Biden it, it'll be okay, and actually, if these are the kinds of people who are going to be teaching my children, then we can just... We and it will be okay because the will is there and the will is there with those individuals who are passionate and optimistic uh, and utterly dedicated
0: fantastic stuff um as you say people sort of earlier in that career potentially more closely connected to their purpose and and their why and the the energy that that follows and a very nice optimistic note to end on well thank you to both of you so much for carving out some time out of your busy busy schedules to talk to us today and thank you very much for listening key voices is produced by the key giving education leaders the knowledge to act members of the key for school leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com. and please tell us what you think of the podcast rate review and subscribe or email me at caroline.doherty at the key support.com
2: with your thoughts and suggestions.